and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Too often, it feels like progress moves too slowly in our nation, especially for those who are most marginalized among us. But in the last decade, the pace has picked up in some ways, and it has felt like real progress has been happening more quickly, especially for members of the LGBTQ plus community. The Supreme Court guaranteed the right for same-sex couples to get married no matter where they live. And there are states and local governments that have added legal protections that members of that community have never enjoyed. There's also been more representation and acceptance of gay and queer individuals all across our culture. Take a look at media or television or movies, and you can't help but notice the normalcy now that attends the idea of being LGBTQ+. But, of course, progress always meets with resistance, right? And so now we're seeing the progress that the LGBTQ plus community has experienced challenged by a number of regressive legislative ideas all across the country. We're still at war, really, to make sure that people can be treated equally, can be treated fairly, won't be singled out for who they are by the law in our country. In Florida, for instance, the state legislature passed a bill that restricts discussion of gender and sexuality in school, and it is aimed at the idea that uh, there's something wrong with talking about being something other than heterosexual to children. The bill is dubbed by its opponents the, quote, don't say gay bill. And it's likely to be signed into law soon by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Florida's not alone. There are lots of places where people are trying to contort education, literature, all parts of our culture in a way that denies the equality for that community. So what does that mean? For this community and our ability to create a more perfect union, the ability to expand the franchise of freedom that we take for granted here in the United States. That's where we begin the conversation today, and we've got a perfect guest to lead us in that conversation. Dave Garcia is executive director of Affirmations, which is Michigan's largest LGBTQ plus community center. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. So first, let's start with your reaction to this bill in Florida that would restrict discussion of gender and sexuality in schools. Uh, It's just the latest, as I said, in the pushback against, I think, the progress that we've seen over the last decade. But There is something particularly pernicious, I think, uh, about the effort here and the the specifics in this bill. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think you hit it on the head, though, earlier when you said that there is a pushback right now uh, toward the LGBTQ community and that because of progress and that we've seen that historically, every time we make uh, you know two steps forward, we get pushed one step back. But that is still progress. Uh, bills like what we're seeing in Texas and Florida and really all over the country are real threats to the LGBTQ community. I, I have said many times, for example, that the religious exemption bills that we see popping up all over the country are the biggest threat to the LGBT community since HIV AIDS. And while some people may think that we are talking about wedding cakes um, or wedding photographers, and while that is a part of it, what we are really talking about here are doctors refusing to treat the LGBTQ community and hiding behind their religious beliefs, or therapists refusing to see the LGBT community in colleges and hiding behind their religious beliefs. Just a couple of years ago here in Detroit, you had a pediatrician refusing to treat a baby because that baby's parents were lesbians and hiding behind their religious beliefs. And so whether it's the religious exemptions or the don't say gay bill or the attacks on the trans community across the country, we see every single day the real threats and challenges toward our community. Let's take the trans community. The trans community, especially women, trans women of color, are uh, being murdered at rates that can only be described as an epidemic, more than 70 last year alone. It's, it's, it's crazy. We read about it in the LGBTQ papers, but we don't see a lot about it in the straight media. Mm -hmm. The average life expectancy for a trans woman of color is 35 years old. And we've got to talk about those things and the violence against our community. But I, and I do want to talk about the violence against our community, Stephen, but you are right to say that we are making progress. Just the other day, I was doing a training for all incoming Michigan State Police troopers on LGBTQ hmm. issues. I promise you, I've been doing this a long time. That would never have happened even five years ago. And so that is progress. And one of the things that we talked most about, by the way, was violence against the LGBTQ community and particularly domestic violence in our community. Because too often, when a state trooper or a state police officer or you know, a sheriff's department or whatever uh, go to the front doors of a domestic violence situation for, the same, for a same-sex couple and it's two guys or two women, it's treated like, oh, it's just a fight where the same power dynamics can exist. The violence against the LGBTQ community, sexual violence, dating violence, domestic violence, is just as prevalent, if not more so, in our community than it is in the straight community. And we need to do a better job of training officers around the state to recognize it when they see it. Mm. So, you know, one of the ironies, I think, is that all of this pushback against the progress uh, that we've seen for the LGBTQ plus community is happening as public support for laws protecting that community is is higher than ever. Uh, there's a new survey from the Public Religion Research Institute that says nearly eight in 10 Americans support laws that would protect LGBTQ plus people from discrimination in jobs and housing and public uh, accommodations. And so I, I think... This is this is a dynamic we see in in terms of lots of different communities that that just as you're on that cusp of everybody kind of coming to the same idea of what equality means, 
you get this very you get this very exercised reaction uh, and and maybe it's about fear maybe it's about a sense of loss of control but in some ways it it, it suggests how close how close we are to the, the the very idea of equality let alone what the mechanisms for enforcing and protecting that equality might be that's a good point. I mean, I mean, let's just tell the truth. In, in the state of Michigan, for decades now, we have tried to amend the Elliott Larson civil rights protection laws of the state of Michigan to include sexual orientation and gender identity. The governor has said that she will sign it if it gets to her desk, but it will not be allowed to even come to a hearing, much less a vote in both the House and in the Senate up in Lansing. The same can be said for the Equality Act on the national scale. The president has said he will sign it. It has passed Congress twice now to, to include sexual orientation and gender identity protections. And it stalls in the Senate. Because why? Because of conservative majorities who will not allow it to come to a hearing, much less a vote. But those are much older generation. And I know that in time, our youth will save us. Wow. It's just going to take some time. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Dave Garcia, who is executive director of Affirmations, Michigan's largest LGBTQ community center. We're talking about the progress that we've seen over the last decade in particular with regard to protections for the LGBTQ plus community and the pushback that we're seeing uh, against that progress, this bill in Florida in particular that uh, – is aimed at quashing even discussion of uh, gender and uh, equality issues in schools. Uh, we would love to hear from you during this conversation as well. What do you make of this recent wave of bills and laws and policies that are targeting LGBTQ plus Americans, including this one uh, in Florida? Uh, what do you think of the idea that uh, that we're so close to actually realizing the equality that's eluded us uh, on this front for so long. We, of course, especially want to hear from you if you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community. What do these bills and laws mean to you and to your life? Uh, what, what would you expect to see from government uh, to make uh, your equality uh, more cherished, more protected. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, and you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, Dave, I do want to talk more about this this problem with violence uh, and, and get you to, to talk a little more about what needs what still remains to be done um, to, to to lower those incidents of, of violence and what kind of efforts are being made I guess to to help not just the police but the other parts of uh, our society that are there to help to really understand what their role needs to be and 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 how they should be playing it you know uh, there was a recent national study Speaking of violence and students in, in Florida, for example, there was a recent study that showed that students in grades 9 through 12, uh, we found that 8.3% of heterosexual students and 17.5% of gay, lesbian, and bisexual students reported physical dating violence. 
9.1% of heterosexuals and 22.7% of gay, lesbian, and bisexual students reported sexual dating violence one or more times during the 12 month prior to the survey that was taken. If we're not talking to young people about LGBTQ issues or how to recognize uh, violence or, or uh, make sure that they're not getting into uh, dangerous situations, we're not doing our jobs as caretakers of our youth. And so when we see numbers in our community that are actually greater than the straight community when it comes to uh, domestic violence, we need to do a better job as well. 44% of lesbian women and 61% of bisexual women experience rape, physical violence, stalking by an, uh, an intimate partner in their lifetime compared to 35% of heterosexual women. There was a recent transgender survey which had more than 27,000 respondents, nearly half, Stephen, 47% of the respondents experienced sexual violence at some point in their lifetime and one in 10 experienced sexual violence in the past year alone. Wow. And, and let me tell you, this is uh, deeply personal for me. I have trained all over this country for many, many years on domestic violence. And I thought I was always saying the right things and doing my best. And then I got into a relationship that recently ended. And that person whom I love very much uh, went to jail and was um, sentenced uh, this month, in fact. It's very uh, fresh. And until you're really you know, up against a wall or not being let out of a room, it's one thing to train on it. It's another thing to really experience it. And what nobody talks about in our community, we all talk about how to get help and how to get them out and all the, the needs that they're gonna have. And no one talks about how you can still love that person, mm. um, how deeply you can still love somebody and they still have to leave. And we don't talk about that much. And, and you know, I, I called the prosecutor the day before and I asked that uh, my ex now, who I haven't seen for a while, that they get uh, a plea bargain, that, that they don't have a record that follows them, still trying to protect them. And there's a no contact order in place right now. Uh, and I asked that that be in place, honestly, it's even more for me because I was worried I might let them back in. Yeah. So um, it is important that people in either, in, in my community that are experiencing domestic violence, one, consider therapy. I had never seen a therapist once in my entire life. I don't know if that's because I was raised in a Latino family and there's a lot of machismo around therapy, but because of the breakup and because I was just so sad, uh, I went and saw a therapist. And it was actually not only worth it, it was actually kind of cool to talk to somebody who's been in this field for you know, 25, 30 years and can tell you um, experiences that they've seen from other couples and, and just, just have a conversation with someone other than your family and friends. And so I, I strongly encourage folks, especially those of you who said, oh, I don't need therapy. I don't need to talk to a therapist. I was the same way. And I hope uh, someone out there listening will say, hey, I'll give it a try because what, what, it can't hurt. And at Affirmations, we've hired our third full-time licensed therapist. And so you can call us if you need help on, on this issue or any issue that you're facing in the LGBTQ community. You can call Affirmations and you can talk to one of our, one of our therapists. 70% of LGBTQ survivors of domestic violence Say, say that they would rather go to an LGBTQ-specific program. 
And we don't have enough LGBTQ programs out there. And so we're trying here at Affirmations to expand our own programming for Southeast Michigan. But if you're out there and you're listening and you're in a, a, a bad situation or you're just getting out of a bad situation, um, we're here to listen to you and to help you in any way that we can. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Sarah on the east side. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for taking my call, and thank you for focusing on this issue. This is so important. Um, I'm I'm a psychotherapist, and I specialize in working with LGBT and especially trans adolescents. And I'm, I'm so grateful for this conversation because, honestly, you know, the laws that are being passed or proposed around the country, the, really the backlash that's happening right now is hurting kids so much. It's hurting families so much. And I, I think that people don't really realize that the effect of these don't-say-gay laws, these anti-trans sports participation laws, they're not going to make fewer kids gay and fewer kids trans. They're not going to make fewer ki- queer kids. Mm-hmm. They're going to make fewer queer kids survive into mm-hmm. adulthood mm-hmm. because yeah. this, the rate of self-harm and suicide amongst, amongst LGBTQ youth is orders of magnitude higher than for the cisgender heterosexual population. Yeah, Sarah, I'm really glad you called and made that point. I mean, when you talk about the cruelty that is powering these efforts, this pushback, that's uh, you absolutely put your finger on it there. The idea that you are not going to create fewer members of this community, uh, you're going to create fewer members of this community who actually survive. And it is it is that stark. It is that dire, Dave. Right. It is. And Sarah, I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you very much uh, for the work. Um, but Stephen, the, the violence, you know, whether it is hate crimes, which continue to rise against our community. Um, You know, we get threats a lot here at Affirmations and we still get the protesters out front with their signs of God hates fags. And the city just had to put steel, um, steel pipes, columns in front of our building because of threats uh, that come to us every single day. And I know we're not alone in that. I know the Jewish community is facing similar things, the Asian community, the Muslim community. Um, And we, you know, and we are working together with those groups to try to protect one another. The FBI has been here to do active shooter drills. We've got silent alarms throughout our building in mm-hmm. case someone walks in with a gun. I mean, these are the things that we have to think about all the time. You know, we have seniors here. We have youth here. We have, um, we're a community center. Um, and if somebody, you know, it just sucks that if someone, we have to practice if somebody walks in with a gun here, um, what we're going to do to try to protect our seniors or, or our youth, you know, down at the lower level or just name it. Um, we face violence every day. Um, but again, I, I don't want this to be a completely down, downer conversation. We, we are making significant progress. And I see so much hope and potential in the younger generations coming up. Um, we got to do our best to keep them safe. Yeah. Okay. Dave Garcia, Executive Director of Affirmations. It's always wonderful to have you here to talk about these issues. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Coming up, we're going to talk about the effort to make daylight savings time permanent. 
and stop springing forward and falling back an hour every six months. Are you in favor of this? Are you sick of losing an hour in the spring and gaining one in the fall, resetting all the clocks? Uh, We're going to talk with State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat from Ann Arbor, who is sponsor of a bill to observe permanent daylight savings time here in Michigan. We'll hear why he thinks that's a great idea, and we'll hear from you about whether you agree next. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Have you recovered yet? I'm talking about the hour of sleep we all recently lost when we sprang forward earlier this month for daylight saving time. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit. I don't think anyone is still really sitting around thinking about that. It's kind of a minor inconvenience for many of us. But experts say that disruption has real public health and social costs. The U.S. Senate recently voted unanimously to end the time shifts every six months and make daylight saving time permanent. But it's unclear whether that effort is going to go anywhere at all in Congress. In the House, the leadership has said they're not quite sure why this is something that should be getting their attention. And now there are detractors who say the move would have its own negative effects. So we want to hear from you for the rest of the hour. Do you think it's time to end our practice of springing forward and falling back an hour every six months? Or do you think we should keep the system that we have now? Do you know where daylight savings time even comes from? Like, why do we do this every six months? And how do these time changes affect you and your family? I got to say that uh, this spring, I saw more people talking about and complaining about the time switch than I probably ever have. Why is that? What is it about this that has people pretty grumpy? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also comment on Twitter by using our hashtag, Detroit Today, or go to Facebook and put comments there. Also, give us a call and tell us what you would do. Would you go to permanent daylight savings time, or would you switch to standard time all year? Which one do you think makes the most sense and makes the most sense for people here in Michigan? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. And joining me now is someone who has thought an awful lot about this issue at the state level. State Senator Jeff Irwin is a Democrat from Ann Arbor who represents Michigan's 18th district. He is sponsor of a bill to observe permanent daylight savings time here in Michigan. Uh, Jeff, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. So as I mentioned in the open, experts say there are real consequences for fiddling with our clocks every six months. I wonder if you can take some time to talk about what you think those negative consequences are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, growing up, I just thought this was an annoying tradition. 
spas, uh, looking at some of the research, what it shows is that switching our clocks twice a year doesn't just cause, you know, crankiness and grogginess. It causes a meaningful uptick in car accidents, in workplace accidents, and in uh, negative health consequences, such as heart attacks. And so when you see something that we started a long time ago to save energy in World War One that no longer saves energy, and you see that it's causing these negative consequences, I started to think, you know, look, maybe this clock switching isn't just annoying, isn't just something that leads to cranky kids, but it's actually something that is, is causing harm. And when we think about that, I, you know, there aren't a lot of people who are aware of that, I think, overall. But it does seem like, as I was saying in the open, more people were complaining now about this than in the past. Why, why do you think that's true? Well, I'm not completely sure, but I'm hopeful that it's signaling an increase in civic interest. You know, I think that during the pandemic, a lot of folks were, you know, given the opportunity to think about, you know, what's important in life and, and you know, what am I doing every day? And, and I think that's led more people to start thinking about what's going on in my government. Mm. How can I get more involved in being vocal about what I want to see for the future? Mm. So uh, one group we do hear a lot from on this issue is parents with small kids who are especially thrown off, I think, by these time changes, and they don't necessarily even understand why we're doing it. So you have kids yourself. Was that one of the factors in your decision to introduce these bills over the years? Absolutely. You know, I, I think different people are affected uh, in you know, different magnitudes, you know, sort of like different people are affected by jet lag in different ways. Uh, and so it wasn't something that it was a dramatic effect on me personally. But when I saw how it affected my kids, and I realized the same thing that farmers have always known, which is that little kids and animals, they don't really care what time we're pretending it is. You know, they, they kind of know internally what, what their rhythm is telling them. And, and so it led me to think, you know, we should be listening to those internal rhythms more. We should be respecting them more. And this twice annual switching of the clocks is not at all helpful, and it, it's, it's somewhat harmful. And, and so let's do something about it. Absolutely, having kids brought this to, my, you know, to the front of mind. I'm talking with State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat from Ann Arbor, who is a sponsor of a bill to observe permanent daylight savings time here in Michigan. Uh, it's an issue that uh, the U.S. Senate has also taken up and decided that they think that is the best solution. Uh, we want to hear from you, though, uh, how you feel about the time change every six months. Uh, are you sick of it? Uh, do you think it's a wasteful disruption to our normal calendars and normal schedules? Do you have a hard time switching the clocks, especially forward where we lose an hour? I think uh, it's a little harder to do that than to fall back uh, in the in the fall. What, what things do you do to try to adjust to the time change? Do you have a hard time figuring out what time it is for a couple of days? Are, are the clocks in your house right now that are still – on standard time instead of daylight savings time because you haven't changed them yet. Uh, and give us a sense of whether you would support the idea of going to something like permanent daylight savings time or permanent standard time, I suppose. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the social media 
platforms and Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we can include you in the program that way. I want to read a couple of Twitter comments here. we got a lot uh, on this issue. Jeffrey says, makes sense to stop switching, but it should remain standard time. People and kids getting up in darkness messes with the normal brain function. Hard to start work or school. And be at our best. This was tried in the 1970s, I believe, unsuccessfully. Josh on Twitter says, I like the time change, but I'm willing to accept year-round daylight savings time if it means people will stop whining about the time. I guess he's more annoyed by the annoyance uh, than by the time change itself. Uh, Linda on Twitter says, Michiganders of all people should be against this. Sunrise is already so late. Uh, Jen on Twitter says, I don't care which. Uh, just stop changing the time. Already an artificial construct, but we don't have to make it more difficult. And there's a documented negative human health effect besides. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Cynthia in Rochester Hills, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Uh-huh. I would like to say that, um, like a broken record, every time we switch the clocks, I always whine. Why can't we just switch it by half an hour and then never move it again? But uh, I understand that, you know, then... London will be four and a half hours ahead of us right now, and that will be confusing for people. (laughs) So we can't just do the half hour. But I am team standard time because, you know, after we switched, my 14-year-old son got up to go to school, and he's like, I have to go to school in the dark? And I said, just wait a few weeks, and it'll be light out again when you leave for school. But think about the middle of winter on daylight savings time. It's going to be dark out until 9 Mm a.m., and... I don't ever really need that extra hour of daylight from 9 to 10 p.m., but I would sure like it from 8 to 9 a.m. Hmm. So I would like to not switch, and I am on team standard time. Ah, okay. Uh, Cynthia, I really appreciate the call. You've given this a lot of thought. Uh, Jeff Irwin, respond to what she's saying. So when I first got involved in this issue, the first bill I introduced was to go on permanent standard time. Uh, the reason I did that was because my main goal is to stop the switching. I think it's just silly and anachronistic. It's a tradition that we should be done with. Um, but what I found was that there was a lot more support for permanent daylight saving time. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks who do want that hour in the evening and, and have sort of an opposite perspective. And so just based on the you know push that I've gotten, uh, you know, from residents, I, I just see a lot more support for daylight saving time than I do for standard, but I respect that standard is kind of what the sleep scientists say is better for us. The sleep scientists are saying that, you know, we would all be better off if we were early to bed and early to rise. Uh, But, you know, in terms of the mail I get uh, in my office, I I see a lot more support for permanent DSD, which is why I, you know, altered my legislation over the years to move in that direction because it seemed more possible. And my main goal is getting rid of the clock switch. Uh, again, Cynthia, really appreciate the thought that you've put into all of this, uh, and you're calling and joining the program. Let's go next to Mandy in Bur- or Mindy. I'm sorry, in Birmingham. Mindy, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that I'm all for not switching back and forth. I think it is harmful, but staying in daylight savings time all year long is downright dangerous for school children. Too much of the year already, our kids are standing at the bus stop when it's pitch black, and the idea of having that even more so, I think, is too dangerous. And I understand more people are for daylight savings time than for standard time, but I think that 
given a choice of keep switching, which is a little crazy, or staying in daylight savings time, I'd say keep switching just to have a little more light in the morning. Just to have that that little extra light. Mindy, I, I hear a lot of people saying that. Uh, Jeff, I want you to address that, but then also uh, talk about whether there needs to be, I guess, a one-size-fits-all solution to this. I mean, and if if there is, maybe it's a switching to central time in Michigan as opposed to eastern time. Everybody on the East Coast thinks we're on central time anyway. If you talk to people in New York or Washington, they always assume that we're an hour behind. And we are on that far western edge of the eastern time zone. So I wonder, again, this, this concern of kids Walking to school in the dark or standing at the bus stop in the dark is is real. And and this time of year, it is dark. <laughs> it is dark for a while before uh, it seems safer again. Yeah, you know, there are more than one way for us to address that, I think. And I, I think it's an existing issue now because I know that uh, it's dark when my kids are going to school uh, during part of the year as, as it stands currently on standard time. Uh, so, you know, I think that pushing those start times later would be a good way to address that. And frankly, I think that school start times should be pushed a little later anyway for the benefit of the kids and their education. Uh, but I also think that this is a particularly challenging question for Michigan, because as you mentioned, Stephen, we're right on the edge. And the reason why Michigan ended up in eastern rather than central is largely because of the weight of our population being in southeast Michigan which was even more punctuated at the time these decisions were made. Mm -hmm. And the eagerness of the auto companies to be on par with the stock exchange and everything that was happening in New York. And so, you know, because of our position geographically, it it is a little more challenging because we do tend to, you know, we're at the back end of the time zone. And as a result, we already have a, uh, you know, a little bit later light than, say, our counterparts in Pennsylvania or New York. Hmm. Uh, a couple more social media comments. Janice says, to those who say it will be dark until 9 a.m., the sky starts getting light before actual sunrise. What about starting schools later, which is what uh, uh, Senator Irwin was just referring to. Uh, she says, daylight savings time makes me feel that winter is ending and elevates my mood. Uh, uh, Scotty Bizzle on Twitter says, uh, I might complain for a day, but it's like wearing a mask. You just do it and move on. Here's some food for thought. Uh, um, uh, he, and he links to a, doc, uh, a doctor, a PhD, uh, talking about uh, uh, permanent the idea of permanent daylight savings time not being uh, a good idea. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. John, on the east side, you're up next. John, what's on your mind? Well, uh, due to my schedule, it really doesn't make a difference. I'm in the entertainment business, so I have a really wacky schedule anyways. But when I'm not working, I get up with the sun, and I want to look at the economics of, you know, we we talk about the war and all that. and But the real economics drives this is, you know, golf courses and all the other activities. That Those are the ones that are pushing for this daylight savings times. So what saving time, excuse me. So why would we, you know, put children at risk over the economics of what we would have, let's say, elite kind of athletic stuff that takes place in the Hmm. evenings? So, so John, you're saying keep it the way it is, right? Yeah. Why are we going to put 
everybody at risk going to work and school in the morning in the dark so we can play golf and, and baseball in the evening. <laughs> till 10 o'clock the in the summer. <laughs> because that's what really is the driving force. If you that's look at a lot of, of what's gone on over the last 40 years is, is the business end of things is what's pushing for daylight saving time. Yeah. Uh, John, I really appreciate that perspective and the call. Uh, Senator Irwin, talk about that. Is this about appeasing businesses like golf courses and tennis clubs and the the extra daylight that they get, uh, you know, those long Michigan summers, uh, 10 o'clock and you're still out, um, you're still out uh, on the court. Yeah, I think that's part of why there is, you know, as I said earlier, at least in my mind, more support for permanent daylight than permanent standard. Uh, you know, I get a lot of mail in my office about this from individuals who uh, are pushing for permanent daylight for various personal reasons. But I, I, I think it's also absolutely true what the caller says, which is that, you know, not just the golf industry and other sports, but also particularly the restaurant industry uh, really pushes for, uh, you know, more keeping daylight saving time and, and not going on permanent standard time. Uh, so as somebody who recognizes the danger and, and the real harm that is done to people by the switching, you know, I, my goal is to stop the switching. I think that that is, is a, you know, is, is, a, is a greater harm. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly eager to go either way if we can stop the switching. But what I've seen is much more support for daylight saving time, partially because of the interest that the caller mentions, but also just because I think that when you talk to individuals, a lot of times what will determine whether somebody would prefer permanent standard or permanent daylight time is, you know, whether or not they, you know, consider themselves a morning person, <laughs> you know. So that, that's been one of the big determining factors in terms of, you know, what I've been hearing from individuals. But I think it's absolutely right that the golf industry and the restaurant industry, you know, in terms of like outdoor recreation and, and, and tourism and entertainment in general, have pushed for that later light in the evening. Hmm. So, so I also wonder what you make of the 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 idea of doing this at the state level, right? So, if we do this here in Michigan and adopt the bill that you've put forward, um, and no other state around us does. That's that adds to the confusion as well. There's there will be some parts of the year where we're on the same time as them. There'll be other parts of the year when we're on on different time. Does does that make sense? So if we were to pass my bill as it's written, we actually wouldn't make the change until a sufficient number of our neighboring states also did so. Because okay. I do think that that's a problem. Really, the only good reason. I think to continue the clock switching, clock switching dance is just because our neighbors are doing it and the sort of annoyance and, and trouble that, that you mentioned is embedded in your question. And so that's how my bill is written. Uh, obviously, if Congress were to go to uh, daylight saving time nationwide, that would you know sort of answer that question. Uh, but I would also point out that there are counties in Michigan that are on central now who you know, are on a different time than the rest of the state and we've got arizona that doesn't participate in the clock switching uh and and so you know this is a problem that has been dealt with you know pretty adequately by our western up counties and by people in arizona but i overall agree with the point you're making Stephen, and that's why i embedded that consideration in my bill and just said look let's 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 pass something such that when the states around us join uh we can all jump together 
one last social media comment. Uh, Anthony on Twitter says he's all in favor of daylight savings time, but he adds, could you also introduce a bill to shine a little, quote, daylight on the governor's office while you're at it? Uh, I think referring to the fact that uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer had promised to be much more transparent uh, with records and things out of her office than she has been. Uh, Jeff, I wonder if you have any thoughts about the governor not subjecting her office to FOIA, for instance, uh, which would uh, which would make it more transparent. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm strongly in favor of enhancing our FOIA laws, our sunshine laws, to make sure that the legislature and the Governor's office is subject to the same sorts of record requests that um, you know many of our local governments are subjected to, and that frankly most state governments are. I think it's an important point of accountability, and uh, you know I'm also working in a bipartisan way with Senator McBroom. Uh, just today, we're going to be introducing legislation to improve the legislature's oversight functions by creating a bipartisan, a permanently bipartisan oversight function, so that the legislature's efforts around accountability aren't governed by which party's in power and, you know, whose team are you on today? Mm. And it's more governed by how can we protect the taxpayers? How can we protect the public interest every year, year in, year out, no matter who's governor and who's in the legislature? Yeah, yeah. Okay, State Senator Jeff Irwin, Democrat from Ann Arbor. Great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me on. It's going to do it for us today. I want to thank everyone who called in and wrote to us on social media about Daylight Savings Time, who we didn't get to. Incredible response uh, today uh, about that issue. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the very real problem of climate anxiety as our world continues to warm and governments fail to make necessary changes. We're going to talk with experts about how to cope with a pretty scary environmental future. This is 1019 WDET-FM. Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.